You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Joining me today is a new guest to discuss a new topic. Dr. Mark Glutney, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of Regional Operations for Eastern Canada and British Columbia. And Mark is going to be sharing with us some of uh, what he does for DU Canada, uh, covering some of the uh, the other habitats outside of the prairies and outside of the boreal that we have already heard from through the over the past year or so from Dr. Scott Stevens. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Mike, it's nice to join you. Your title is reminiscent of others that we've, or at least one other that we've heard about, and that's Dr. Scott Stevens. I believe he is going to be your counterpart within Ducks Unlimited Canada. He's Director of Regional Operations for the Prairies and Boreal. Uh, so you guys kind of have similar responsibilities for the organization, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. We have the same the same responsibilities. We just split the country in two parts. And so Director of Regional Operations for Eastern Canada and British Columbia uh, the geographers in our audience, in our among our listener audience, will know that British Columbia is not in eastern Canada. So, so give us some insight on that. Sure. So eastern Canada is the six eastern provinces, Ontario, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Newfoundland, Labrador. And, you know, British Columbia is yeah, clearly on the west coast. This was kind of a, a situation that arose through opportunity when we uh, went from three DROs to two directors of regional operations. And we split the Les Bogdans region with Scott taking the boreal forest and I took uh, BC. It's not that surprising. The issues 
and um, realities in British Columbia and the, the conservation challenges and opportunities are really not that dissimilar from what we're dealing with in Eastern Canada. You know, the, the, the drivers, you know, are similar, the effects of climate change and sea level rise, you know, expansion of urban populations, uh, those kind of things are, are pretty similar. So, so the conservation programs, while being, you know, somewhat different, uh, th- th- they're responding to similar stressors. And, and Dr. Stevens is one of those inlanders. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience with those coastal systems, so we probably couldn't entrust him with, with caring for, for those coastal systems in British Columbia, right? That's right. <laughs> we have a lot of fun with Scott. He is probably uh, is probably our most frequent guest, being very gracious and joining us anytime we ask him to. And he's done a great job over the past two or three years, ever since we've started this podcast, of keeping us updated on habitat conditions, waterfowl populations, migration status in the prairies, and and also touching on the boreal a little bit as well. This is a, a great opportunity to hear from you, to hear from other regions. We've had some listener comments asking us to, to give a bit more coverage to the Atlantic Flyway and some of the waterfowl, breeding waterfowl habitats that are responsible for producing birds that, that travel into the Atlantic Flyway. And so we wanted to do this for quite a while, and the listener comment kind of provided an additional stimulus for doing so, and so I thank you for sharing your time here today, Mark, and, and kind of helping us with this conversation. Tell you what, given that this is the first time you have been on the podcast, how about we start with just a brief introduction to you as uh, from a personal and professional perspective? So I've been with Ducks Unlimited for 24 years, I guess. Um, you know, started in Atlantic Canada, helping with with the developing their conservation program, then moved to managing Atlantic Canada, then took on some responsibilities with uh, coordinating our science activities in Eastern Canada, and then moved on to uh, to taking on the regional responsibilities for Eastern Canada, and then in the last couple of years took on uh, the British Columbia opportunity. I've been associated with waterfowl and waterfowling my entire life. My my dad and family were avid waterfowlers, grew up in that kind of environment. I found the other day my Ducks Unlimited green wing badge that I got uh, probably in 1970 or 69 when I first became a member of Ducks Unlimited as a Green Wing. So uh, that was pretty cool. I've still got still got one of those old Green Wing badges sort of mint in box. So might might be worth something on, on eBay. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it is. It's amazing. A lot of those, that early memorabilia, uh, those early badges, hats, whatever you want to, you want to talk about. Yeah. They, they bring with them some value now. So that's pretty cool. I didn't, didn't realize that you had been associated with DU for, for quite that long. Yeah. Basic, basically all my life. Right. So it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to actually be, have the opportunity to work, you know, for the company. Yeah. And, and that's, a story that holds true for many of our our staff, both within DU Inc. as well as DU Canada, as well as DU to Mexico, uh, I'm sure. And so, yeah, it's it's a great organization to work for. We have a lot of support and all the, and a lot of through the years, and we we try to do good things. And so that's that's what we're here to talk about with you in terms of. Um, some of the other important breeding waterfowl habitats there in Canada. And at some point in the future, I I believe we'll have an opportunity to get back in touch with you and talk about the different types of conservation activities that we do in those landscapes and that we have done for many decades. But for today, I think what we want to do is just kind of focus in on a description of those areas 
and and to the extent that you can will eventually get you to to give your best assessment, uh, sort of subjectively based assessment based on, on, on what you're hearing, anecdotal observations and reports here over the past year of how habitat conditions were in those regions. And as we go through this, it'll probably probably be instructive to do some comparing and contrasting um, to the prairies in terms of the variability that we see there in the prairies and the drought that's developed. And then like, what is what is the boreal forest of, and the other waterfowl habitats from eastern Canada look like in that regard? So let's just jump in right here. And I guess what I would do, Mark, is ask you to to provide a, an overview, a description, a general description of the type of waterfowl habitats that we have, breeding waterfowl habitats that we have there in eastern Canada. Let's start there, and then we can jump over and touch on British Columbia here a little bit as well. Sure. When I think about the breeding habitats in eastern Canada, I, I kind of think about them in, in grades and in, in gradations. And we'll start sort of, we've got coastal habitats and coastal habitats along our marine coasts of the maritime and Atlantic provinces, as well as Quebec, where there's sort of salt tidal influence on those coastal systems. And that's kind of one main habitat type that we have. Um, that grades, if you come back through the uh, St. Lawrence system, up the St. Lawrence and up the Ottawa rivers, we have lots of coastal wetlands that are freshwater, um, that are really important habitats for waterfowl, both from a breeding and a, and a staging uh, perspective. So uh, along the St. Lawrence and along the Great Lakes, um, those coastal habitats are, are some of the key uh, features that we focus on. When you move sort of back from the coast, you get into um, where people live. People live along the coast, but also, you know, they live in that that agricultural landscape of southern Ontario, down the Ottawa River, down the St. Lawrence through Quebec. Um, lots of the people live in, uh, in Atlantic Canada, you know, within that agricultural landscape. So that's another sort of key landscape for us where people live. It's where the high productive soils are. It's where those highly productive wetlands in our in our landscape are. Um, it's where the majority of the impact has been uh, historically over the last 400 years as, uh, as European settlement came. Then you sort of grade to the north and you start to get into the forest. And sort of that first tranche of forest is is sort of cottage country. I meant much of that forest is has nice lakes with uh, with marshy edges around them in many places, and 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 streams and rivers that connect them that are populated by beavers that are providing really important um, breeding areas for a multitude of different waterfowl species. Again, lots of people are are in those landscapes. They're they're living and recreating in those landscapes. And then you grade north from there into the into the I guess the broader commercial forest where we have much less presence of people. You've got a a bigger presence of of logging and and forestry type activities in there. Lots of wetlands, lots of beaver ponds, lots of beaver flowage, lots of river creek systems in that landscape. And then you continue to grade north and you get out of the commercial forest into into the, the the top end of the boreal forest and then we then we grade up into up into James Bay lowlands and all of those really high value high quality wetlands along the coast of James Bay and Hudson's Bay up into the Arctic areas in Quebec and and uh, which are really important for things like uh, uh, Atlantic population of Canada geese 
I think what's a little different in our agricultural landscapes in the region is, you know, it's it's more of a riverine system. You know, it's not like prairie potholes where you've got these isolated um, and not interconnected uh, potholes and sloughs. Our landscape is much more uh, linear in its nature um, and historically, you know, would have been forested with creeks that were um, dammed periodically by beavers and, and supporting, you know, significant numbers of black ducks uh, in that landscape. It is a huge area with a great diversity of waterfowl habitats is, is what you're saying. Yeah, we're going to paint this picture as best we can, and you've done a fantastic job of doing so. I want to quickly jump over to British Columbia and have you talk about that as well. Sure. Um, so so give that a shot. Sure. So in, in British Columbia, you know, you can think about uh, two main areas for from a waterfowl perspective sort of the interior central part of the uh, of the province uh, the north of Kamloops uh, called the Caribou Shilcolton area it's a it's a mid elevation area or lower elevation area lots of branching and and uh, grassland in that area lots of river systems but also uh, basins wetland basins within there it's a pretty cool place, um, hugely productive uh, for waterfowl. You know, I think in that area, when I stand on the on the edges of a bunch of those wetlands, it really reminds me of being uh, at a prairie wetland. You know, there's just the the diversity of species and the abundance of broods that we see in some of those those wetlands is uh, is pretty amazing. So you kind of you start in the interior in a ranching landscape, um, and that's kind of one of some of our main focuses is to is to kind of restore and and work there. And then you know the other really important part of the landscape is uh, is the coast, and the coast provides you know important uh, wintering and staging habitats, all those estuaries and all the important farmland activities around the estuaries that provide food for our wintering waterfowl are key features. The other part of the province that's really important from a waterfowl perspective is the is the northeast corner, which is the peace country. And you know that's a an extension of prairie of the prairie systems. So the the, the prairie ecosystem comes into northeastern British Columbia in the peace and along the peace river systems and and it really is prairie habitat in there. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're, conservationists. we're conservationists with the next generation. The next generation. 
Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside. From a breeding waterfowl standpoint, outside of the the Peace Parkland, there is the primary focus in. Uh, did I understand correctly that it's in the interior portion of British Columbia? There, yeah. So the the big production areas for for British Columbia is the interior of of the province. There certainly is some production along the coast, but the vast majority of it happens in the interior. And and if you look at our international conservation plan, you know that area jumps up as a as a level two continental priority. And to give people an idea of uh, the importance of that area or the, the number of waterfowl that breed in interior British Columbia, I'm looking at a report here and over the past, 50, uh, I guess, 13 or so years, estimates from the Breeding Population Survey in interior British Columbia have been anywhere from 300,000, uh, actually a little bit less than 300,000, but up to 410,000. So just to kind of give you an idea of the uh, the, the density or the total number of, of birds that we have nesting there, breeding there. I want to jump back over, Mark, and for the remainder of this discussion, I think we'll focus on eastern Canada, just for the ease of, of kind of discussing uh, how conditions may have unfolded and what it may mean for waterfowl hunters and those that appreciate waterfowl here in the eastern U.S. We'll have an opportunity some other time to to focus on breeding habitats there in British Columbia, Alaska, western boreal forest, and how they may influence waterfowl populations in the Pacific Flyway. And actually, we've already had a bit of a discussion about that with Dr. Mark Petrie on an earlier episode where we were actually discussing drought in the Pacific Flyway. Mark did a pretty good job summarizing what we think we understand about breeding habitat conditions and populations in that in that, the those areas in the Pacific Flyway this year. So let's jump back over to Eastern Canada. And now that we have a general idea of the, the type of breeding habitats that, we've, that we're going to be seeing in that region, you've also talked about some of the habitats that are important for non-breeding for waterfowl during the non-breeding period. And, and we can even save that for a future episode as well. But for now, let's try to focus on the kind of breeding habitat conditions. And perhaps a useful thing to add here uh, are, are the dominant, what, what are the dominant waterfowl species that we see utilizing those eastern Canada habitats? You know, the flagship species, I think there's two flagship species. You know, certainly when you think about the the east, the black duck sort of comes to to mind as you know uh, uh, that flagship dominant species that uh, that everybody sort of loves and likes and, and and appreciates. You know that that elusive sort of black duck that that comes down in in the fall and is such a beautiful bird. Uh, you know, and you think about uh, another sort of hallmark species would be the common eider. You know, when we live in our in our coastal communities, it's the other sort of dominant one. It's it's the bird that in Newfoundland Labrador, you know, is, is the prized one for a, uh, a New Year's Christmas Eve dinner would be a roast eider would be a, would be something of, of great value. So, you know, those are sort of two of the, the main dominant species. 
we have certainly really big populations of of wood ducks um, and wood duck populations have been expanding over the last the last decades mallards of course have been expanding into eastern canada since the since the 1950s unlike south of us you know our mallard populations are pretty stable uh, you know they've they've increased dramatically i think we're getting at the point where though that population growth is starting to plateau as the birds have basically filled the available habitat and we're not really seeing that decline in in mallards that's being seen in uh, in some of our our states just south of us golden eyes as well both uh, common golden eyes and barrels golden eyes are uh, are a, an important species and you know for for many of our colleagues down in in the south um you know we produce lots of ringnecks and and hooded mergansers are birds of big abundance what about green-winged teal? They are a species that we associate with boreal forest. Uh, you have a pretty good number of those. Yeah, we have we have good production of green wings out of the out of the woods, as well as as you get a little farther north, kind of south of James Bay, uh, banding through Quebec up into the up into Manitoba. There's a big band of area where lots of uh, scoters are nesting as well. Um, and then, of course, when you get farther north, you've got uh, snow geese. Uh, well, snow geese are, I guess, north of north of Quebec and into into the territories. But um, Canada geese, you know, are are breeding uh, along James Bay, Hudson's Bay. I guess snow geese along along James Bay as well. And then up in the Ungava Peninsula, we've got all of the uh, Atlantic population of Canada geese, and uh, and then the North Atlantic population breeding through you know eastern Quebec and Labrador and Newfoundland. What about uh, another species that we associate with with boreal forest is is American wigeon. Now they're primarily a western bird, though, right? You, we don't see a great number of wigeon in eastern in the eastern boreal, do we? There's there's some. I mean, the the reality in our in our boreal eastern boreal forest is we don't we don't have the same density of waterfowl that we see in the western boreal forest. You know, there's there's a much lower productivity in that system. The the glaciers basically pushed all of the all of the soil away, so the uh, the productivity of those landscapes are diminished. So you know, we've got lower densities of birds than the western boreal forest, but we've got you know good good uh, uh, diversity of species, including wigeons, and it's just a huge geography. So there's lots of birds produced out of that geography. Just on the basis of how big it is. I'm looking at a table here in one of the population status reports, and it summarizes data from each of the past, oh, I don't know, 20 or so years on the six most abundant duck species or kind of duck species groups when you think about golden eyes and mergansers where they lump multiple species in these counts here. Um, in the, the eastern survey area, which includes for, for most of these species is going to be some combination of eastern Canada as well as some portion of the northeastern U.S. And across that region, for those six for those six species or species groups, we're looking at somewhere around four million, you know, three and a half to five million um, ducks in the breeding population. Now, there's more that doesn't include wood ducks. It doesn't include some of the others that we've talked about, widgeon. Um, certainly doesn't include the scoters, the eiders in these counts. So there's millions of waterfowl that breed in the in eastern Canada, northeastern U.S. And so those are all the ones that we that we cover and that it, that are affected by the habitat conservation work that we do. Mark, I wanna I wanna shift a little bit now and see if we. Can can talk about habitat conditions this year. We have 
focused, rightly so, a lot on providing updates about the status of the drought, the status of wetland conditions, breeding population, kind of assessments in the prairies. They, the prairies, as we all know, are a highly dynamic landscape. Um, rainfall comes in bunches, and then we go through drought, and then we are we're in the in the grips of a pretty severe drought right now. But the boreal forest across Canada are really useful contrast to the prairies in terms of the year-to-year variation that we see in precipitation and resulting wetland uh, wetland conditions. And we've heard about this from Scott with regard to the western boreal forest. That same pattern pretty well holds in eastern Canada as well, right? Overall, I mean, not just the boreal, but all of our landscapes are not subject to that same variability that we see in uh, in the prairie systems. So, you know, typically things are more stable from year to year to year, you know, but we're seeing we're seeing with climate change um, and with over the last decade, you know, that it's changing. You know, the there are certainly differences now than there were 20 years ago. You know, for example, we have more periods where it is drier and than we've had historically. And we're seeing, you know, rains coming in much more intense events as opposed to, you know, historically where we might have had two or three inches of rain over two or three days. You know, we're seeing those come in big rain events now. So it's changing the dynamics of our, of our wetlands a little and, and changing um, a sort of inundation of some of these wetlands. And, and we're seeing sort of more wetlands generally being a little more stressed um, more often than we've we've seen historically. You know, last year we had huge droughts in Atlantic Canada, which are very unusual. This year we had uh, a very dry spring in uh, in Ontario and Quebec. And uh, so that's a little different, but you know, going going on to sort of what is what did habitats what do habitat conditions look like over the last year? You know, in in Ontario and Quebec we had a, like I said, we had a very dry and hot spring, which meant that the, we didn't have as much small sheet water and small ponds and, and ephemeral ponds, which are really important for, for stopping birds and for settling birds on our landscape. So I think the number of birds that actually nested within our, our settled part of the landscape, within the agricultural landscape, were probably a bit lower than we've, we would see historically. That was sort of countered by the fact that it was pretty nice weather and we didn't see any cold snaps during the periods, cold wet snaps during the period when, you know, ducklings were typically hatching. So I think the, you know, duckling survival from a, from a weather perspective was was better early on. Um, I think another another factor along our, our river systems, the St. Lawrence Ottawa system was, it was a year of, of low flooding. So in years like 2019 and 2017, where we had huge floods, a large part of the floodplain um, was underwater and unavailable for breeding during that main period where ducks were, were trying to find places to nest. So this year, we certainly had lots of places for the birds in the floodplains to, to nest, and, and, and I, I think that was good. Uh, in Atlantic Canada, things were things were good. We had also a pretty mild spring, but the the conditions had rebounded from from the drought. We didn't see 
some cold, any cold, wet days late May, early June. So there was lots of broods produced and lots of lots of big black duck broods were seen sort of early on. So, you know, overall, I think in that settled part of the landscape, the production was, you know, average or maybe a little below average. In the in the forested landscape, things are pretty stable and um, we didn't see any kind of big environmental shifts in terms of drought happening out there so i would expect that production out of our out of our forest systems was 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 average you know one of the things that that makes it challenging on a year-to-year basis to to sort of empirically assess what habitat conditions are within that vast eastern canada landscape is the fact that we don't even when we have the breeding population surveys being conducted, of course, this year and, and last year, we did not have those surveys conducted in eastern Canada. They did conduct surveys in the northeastern U.S. this year in 2021. But but even even in the years where we are conducting the surveys in eastern Canada, there I don't think there are habitat metrics that are recorded along those surveys, are there? So we don't really have like uh, we aren't able to say what the wetland count is, quote, wetland count is in eastern Canada, the way we we're able to do for pond counts in the prairies. And it's it's just a different type of wetland landscape. Am I correct in that? Yeah, that's correct. We don't have like a May pond count. And and it, I mean, it's not surprising because it would not provide you with any information that you could use to, to, uh, to discriminate what the population was going to be because you would basically have the same count year on year. Yeah, the, the wetlands are certainly not as as dynamic, but I will say that I'm I'm gaining greater appreciation for some of the the dynamics of the wetlands that are that do occur there, especially the those in the uh, in the floodplain system, the St. Lawrence River Valley, and the the fact that flooding can can basically eliminate nesting habitat for some of the birds in in the spring uh, that type of dynamic isn't always immediately obvious to me having not ex- spent much time in that landscape during their during the breeding season so I appreciate that one of the one of the other questions that people may be wondering and we've talked about this a great deal with Scott is that given drought in the prairies and we talk about how birds that are returning to the prairies and they encounter dry conditions are likely to overfly the prairies go into the the western boreal forest do we know anything about whether birds from the prairies during drought years would kind of filter into the eastern boreal forest is that a level of information that's too fine for us to really understand right now i don't think we know a lot about that again i think the challenge becomes you know the productivity of our eastern forests and the wetlands within them are are different than our western forests right when when they go up into the the western boreal forest you know there's pretty good productivity on those on those wetland systems certainly not the same level that we see in the prairies but but they're still pretty good and you get you know good densities of birds occurring on those on those systems in in our eastern for boreal forest systems you know it's a it's a beaver pond flowage dominated system there's lots of ducks but the density is certainly not there so i'm not sure that there's that much creep out of the prairies um into the east i mean maybe in if i had to if i had to guess it would be into the northwestern part of ontario into that going to northwest south of james bay and hudson's bay yeah that would be my thought too there mark i, I just wanted to ask the question 
question because I, I try to think about the type of things that may, may come to mind as, as we're listening to this and, you know, just want to try to answer some of those questions, certainly in light of, of what we're seeing across that prairie landscape this year. Um, and I, I guess we've I've talked here and mentioned a lot about the importance of eastern Canada and northeastern U.S. for providing birds um, to the Atlantic flyway during the non-breeding season. But that's not the only, that's, that's not where all these, not like all of the birds in eastern Canada, the areas that you cover go go to the Atlantic flyway. You know, there, the breeding waterfowl in those, in those, in that region uh, do uh, come down through the Mississippi flyway as well. I, I haven't looked at harvest distribution statistics lately, but I suspect that as you get into the central flyway, the contribution of eastern Canada and northeastern U.S. habitats markedly drops off. But those, those areas in eastern Canada that you cover, northeastern U.S., do provide birds into the Mississippi Flyway as well, but certainly are dominantly important for the for the Atlantic Flyway. Have Have you been able to get out and do any hunting yet this year? And I'm just kind of curious what you're seeing as we as we start to to wrap up this episode. Sure. I mean, I, I just on the on the point about the Central Flyway. You know, many of the birds produced in Ontario are going down that flyway, um, and then sort of the birds in in the western part of Quebec kind of split between between the two flyways. Um, that way. Um, yeah, I've been out a couple of times, uh, a couple of times this year, our season opened, uh, Saturday before last. And then I've sort of been talking to some of our volunteers and, and looking at the social, the social media feeds as well. So my, my experience personally was I had the same place, uh, early in the year, uh, year over year. What I saw this year was a lot more black ducks in the birds flying around than I'd seen over the last decade. So, you know, it was a it was interesting this year. We have to be careful about about um, not shooting more black ducks than we were allowed to. Just there was there was that that many within the within the birds we were seeing. Well, that's encouraging. Yeah, it was it was good. And I'm I'm hearing kind of similar things from from others that uh, it seems to be lots of black ducks around certainly in eastern Ontario. Um, the other thing I'm I'm seeing lots of and hearing lots of, you know, people are pretty excited about how many wood ducks are around this year. So that's kind of building on what we saw last year. Last year was a huge year for wood ducks and and lots of wood ducks were were harvested and, and people really enjoyed their sort of that increase in, in wood ducks. They've always been an important part of the bag in, in Ontario and Quebec. But, uh, you know, more so in the last last year and then this year starting out the same way. Um, we're hearing, you know, reasonable numbers of mallards kicking around. Um, you know, some green wings are starting to show up. Blue wings are all gone. Um, but, you know, we have very few blue wings now in eastern Canada. Uh, we used to have big populations, but um, that's that's changed pretty dramatically over the last uh, 50 years. Um, so, so the reports out of the field are, you know, people are are seeing birds. They're seeing sort of good mixes of birds, and and sort of black ducks and wood ducks seem to be uh, seem to be pretty prevalent. I appreciate this, Mark. I'm like I'll reiterate that I'm gaining new insights and new ways of thinking and understanding waterfowl and waterfowl habitats uh, there in eastern Canada. Uh, so I have a lot of things running through my mind here. The changes that you're seeing in terms of blue wing teal, certainly. The, the changes that you're seeing in terms of wood ducks, it makes me curious about what the trajectory of the wood duck population is in that in that 
that region. I don't know what the answer to that is, and I'm not going to ask you right now. That's a topic for a, a future episode, and a lot of other things come to mind here. We haven't even talked about the type of conservation activities and priorities and science priorities that we have there in eastern Canada, and so that's th- those are areas that are rich for discussion as well. So I think what we'll do here is I'll, I'll just say thank you for joining us and for introducing us to the waterfowl habitats, waterfowl populations of, of eastern Canada, as well as British Columbia. Any any final any final remarks for us here? And then, like I said, we'll we'll get you back on some other time. Well, happy happy to come back and talk about you know the, some of the work that we're doing on the ground and and some of the opportunities and challenges that that exist here in the East and British Columbia. Mark, thank you so much for your time today for joining us on the Ducks Unlimited podcast, and and we will take you up on the offer to join us again. Thanks, Mike. A very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Mark Glutney, Ducks Unlimited Canada's Director of Regional Operations for Eastern Canada and British Columbia. We appreciate his time and joining us here today. And as always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, who always does a wonderful job getting these episodes out to you. And to you, our listener, we thank you for your time and sharing it with us. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.